This episode is part of the pool's Local Officials Stronger Together podcast series. It's one way we serve local officials through integrity, public service, fiscal responsibility, and operational excellence. As always, please direct specific questions about coverage to your member services manager. Welcome to episode 20 in the Risk Pool's Stronger Together podcast series. Today's episode is about the pool's coverage as it relates to criminal offenses, both those committed by a local official or employee and those committed against your local government. After two short podcasts and a special edition hosted by the pool's communications officer, Tamara Chafin, we'll go back to the usual format for this one. I'll give you some basic information, visit with an expert in the subject, this time the pool's underwriting manager, and then give you some action items to help you get everything you can from our partnership. As a local official, you need to be aware of several crimes that you could be charged with. The most common are these. First, the Open Meetings Act has criminal penalties if a quorum of your governing body get together outside of a posted meeting to discuss public business. There are exceptions for social gatherings and other things that are unrelated to public business. You can also violate the act by meeting in numbers less than a quorum if you do that to try to get around the requirement to have an open meeting. Second, the Public Information Act includes criminal penalties for not retaining or not releasing public information. You can listen to episodes 17 and 18 for more details on that. Third, Chapter 171 of the Texas Local Government Code is the Conflicts of Interest Law. It requires a local official to file an affidavit and abstain from participating or voting on a matter that affects their property or their business. And the failure to do that can be a jailable offense. Finally, I think everyone's aware of the prohibition against bribery. That just means you can't accept something in exchange for taking official action. That's pretty easy to understand, but there's also sort of a subset of that. That's the statutory prohibition against accepting most gifts. State law prohibits you from taking any gift from someone subject to your jurisdiction, like a resident or a developer or a vendor or even potential vendor. The law does provide some exceptions. For example, a gift that's worth less than $50, except you can never accept cash or a gift card in any amount. And you can also accept food, transportation, and lodging in any amount so long as you are hosted as a guest. Each of those laws and several others are explained in the paper linked below this podcast. The paper was first authored a few years ago by Christy Drake Adams, a former TML attorney who is by far one of the smartest attorneys I've ever known, and it's been updated recently by TML's current legal staff. It's a very succinct paper. It's very easy to read. I'd suggest checking it out. There's also linked below a Q&A on bribery and prohibited gifts. That's the law that's easily violated even when you have the best of intentions in some cases. So what I've talked about until now are laws you as a local official can inadvertently violate. In the next part, we'll talk about coverage related to those, but even more so, we'll talk about coverage for your entity if it becomes the victim of a crime. For example, if equipment or money is stolen, whether that's by an employee or a third party. Welcome back. I'm now joined by Paula Mar Ludwig, the pool's underwriting manager. Paula has been with the underwriting department since its inception, and no one knows the ins and outs of our coverage like she does. Hey, Paula, first tell me exactly how long you've been with the pool. 
I've been with the pool for 34 years. Started out when the pool in and of itself only had about 30, 35 employees. And now we have 37 just in the underwriting department. And for the benefit of those who don't know what an underwriting department does, can you tell us about that in a nutshell? So essentially, the underwriting department establishes the contributions for our members. What we do is issue the deck pages and the schedules, and we maintain those schedules. So all those lovely changes that our members send in to add a fire truck or a police car or something along that line, we actually process those within our department. One of the other things we do that is just as, and maybe even more important, is price out or quote and respond to RFPs that members have, new members or existing members for that matter, that need additional coverages. We also evaluate our coverage that we provide. We work really closely, say, with our legal department to create those coverage documents and and find the areas of coverage that members may need enhanced, things along that line. Okay, before the break, I spoke about several criminal offenses that a local official could be charged with and also those perpetrated against the local government. What I want to talk about with you are the various pool coverages that relate to those issues, some of which many members may not even be aware that we offer. First, let's talk about a local official or employee who is indicted for a crime. Our liability coverage document says that the pool will reimburse a local official for their attorney's fees if they're exonerated. Tell me a little bit about that. So the pool does offer this reimbursement, and it actually applies to any covered party. So whether that's a public official or whether that's an employee or a volunteer, specifically when they are working in their function as an employee or an official or a volunteer. What it does is say that if a charge is brought against one of our covered parties, and if they are either exonerated or if all charges are dropped without any admission of guilt, of course, then the pool will reimburse the member or that covered party, I should say, their attorney's fees and and some other fees as well, up to $10,000. Now, it's important to remember that $10,000 is shared by any covered party that's involved in the same offense, right, or in the same charges. But what's also cool about that is the coverage doesn't have a deductible. So we actually waive the errors and omissions deductible for this reimbursement. So what would exclude a criminal act from coverage? The pool would not cover criminal charges that aren't related to that particular individual's job functions. So we don't reimburse them for, say, something that happened on a personal basis. And just keep it really clear, it's only whenever the covered party is exonerated, of course. So if there are any charges that do actually stick, that negates coverage. The good news is that that coverage is rarely needed. A related issue, though, are local officials who are required by their employer, and in some cases by statute or a home rule charter, to get a bond. A treasurer, for example, someone who deals with money. Can we help out with that? Well, what's interesting about that is sometimes we can help and sometimes we can't. Meaning sometimes we can actually use our public employee dishonesty coverage to answer that need. It really depends on what the charter says. 
If the charter says specifically that a bond must be secured from a licensed surety company, the pool's not a licensed surety company, right? We are a pool. But we do partner with Victor Insurance Managers. They're a division of Marsh, and they can help us procure that for the member. All right, let's turn our focus from a local official to the local government itself. Typically, that will be a property crime, and our property coverage document has several provisions to protect a member, depending on the type of crime. Does a member get that automatically, or do they have to purchase it separately? Well, if we're talking about crime coverage in and of itself, so that consists of four coverages, public employee dishonesty, theft, disappearance, and destruction, forgery and alteration, and computer fraud. Those are all connected, and those must be purchased separately. Now, the cyber coverage is really cool because for the base limits and base coverage, any member that has general liability or that has real and personal property with the pool is eligible to get these base limits of coverage free of charge. In other words, the pool absorbs the cost for that cyber program. Now, on the property side, meaning, oh, let's say a theft of a copier. (laughs) Someone breaks in and steals the copier. Or maybe even you have covered statuary at a park. If those items that are real property are stolen, that has to be covered under the real and personal property coverage. Just like theft of a piece of a mobile equipment, you have to have the mobile equipment coverage. And under auto, you've got to have the auto physical damage, not just the auto liability, in order to have the theft of an automobile coverage. So you can see that there's several different layers, most of which are an electable coverage. Got it. First, tell me about public employee dishonesty coverage. Say an employee just steals money from the city. How does that work? But the whole point is they've stolen this money from their employer or our member. And so the public employee dishonesty is intended to reimburse the member for funds that they've lost in those situations. It's also the most common loss we do have in the crime coverages because we do unfortunately see situations where you can think of it as embezzlement in the commercial world, but you do see, unfortunately, those circumstances occurring. So that's the main coverage. Let's talk about the three sort of sub-coverages that you mentioned. Tell me about theft, disappearance, and destruction coverage. Maybe give me an example. Also covers money again, but it covers money when it's been physically stolen or even when it may have been destroyed. So let's say there's um, petty cash, perhaps, at City Hall, or even let's say there's been cash receipts that haven't been deposited for your water or sewer services. If they are stored at a building and the building catches fire, they're destroyed. So this theft, disappearance, and destruction will cover that type of destruction. But what it's most commonly seen as covering is when that money is stolen via burglary. So someone accesses the member's location and steals money, or when someone is on their way to the bank, for example, to make a deposit, and they are held up, and that money is then stolen. And what about forgery or alteration coverage? 
Yeah, stolen checks. That's what most of us think about in those terms. So forgery and alteration applies to an outside party that uses a written item, like a check, to make a payment from a member's account. So essentially, it's somebody else that has maybe stolen your check. They are able to perhaps forge that check. And then the member all of a sudden has no funds in their bank account. So that's what forgery and alteration coverage. Again, it can't be forgery and alteration by an employee because that employee forging or altering a document would be covered under the public employee dishonesty coverage. Finally, computer fraud coverage. Doesn't that dovetail with our cyber liability coverage as well in some cases? Typically, we think more of the computer fraud coverage as being a bit separate from cyber, although it is connected, because we tend to think of it as maybe more hacking, where somebody else has come into your computers or has walked into your premise and somebody has left their laptop open and has been able to use a computer to transfer your funds. Now, because that is connected to cyber type of crimes, because it can be done by walking into your premises, perhaps, although less likely. It can also be done remotely and hacking into your systems. Because it's so related, we limit the coverage under the crime to $100,000 maximum that a member can elect, knowing that we've got that partnered coverage, which is really better suited for even under the cyber coverage. And to learn more about cyber coverage, members can always listen to Episode 9 in the STP series. Thanks so much for being here, Paula. We're so lucky to have you. Okay, let's talk about today's action items. We'll just do two for today's episode. Action item number one, check out the written materials that accompany this podcast. They succinctly explain the things you as a local official or employee should know about criminal offenses. And action item number two, make sure you've got the coverage you need to protect your local government from criminal offenses. It's an unfortunate fact of life that employees or others sometimes go astray and steal money or property. What you need to do is make sure that you're covered if that happens. And as always, reach out to your member services manager or me if you have questions. We'll do our best to help. Okay, that's it. Hope you enjoyed this episode, and I hope you'll be with us next time. To review written materials associated with the presentation or to ask Scott a question, please visit www.tmlirp.org and click on the Stronger Together podcast link. Please remember that the information in this episode is provided for informational purposes only and doesn't constitute legal advice. We recommend that you review the podcast and the accompanying written materials with your attorney prior to taking action.